Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. I almost see you. Um, and I'm really, really encouraged uh, to hear, hear the families outside also as we're worshiping together. And um, I wanted to start out, um, I just wanted to share a verse that came to mind as, um, as we were starting our time together because um, we're going to be talking more about the Holy Spirit this morning from, from John, from the Gospel of John, and, and some of the songs that Nikki brought to us. Um, I was reminded of Romans chapter 8. And, uh, and we've, we've read part of this passage in weeks prior as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to read Romans 8, 18, starting there. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And it goes on, Paul goes on, to tell us that in our weakness, it's the Holy Spirit who even helps us to pray, to know even what to pray and what to ask for. When we look around and we see the world broken, and we see so much wrong in the world, is there, is there not just cause for hope, but is it even possible? Is it? Is it, is it possible? I, I, uh, I, I hope that we can at least know the answer is yes. We know the answer is yes, it is possible. But how is it possible when we see so much that's wrong with the world? We're going to be um, reading from John chapter 16 this morning. So if you could turn there, if you've got a Bible or, or your, uh, your device. But I'd like to start this morning with a question uh, to the kids. And those of you in here, uh, and those of you watching on, on YouTube are going to be uh, somewhat time travelers. We're, I think, six seconds separated. <laughs> so you're going to hear a little bit of time travel here. But I'd like, to ask the, I'd like to ask the children something. So kids, this was spring break. Some of you may have traveled. 
Um, but I, I think many of you have probably had a family trip before. Well, how, do you, how does it make you feel when uh, your parents come to you and say, kids, we're going on a vacation? How does that make you feel? Okay. What if, the, what if they said, kids, I want to tell you about this trip we're going to take to vacation. I know that um, our car is kind of small. I want you to remember we're going to have lines down the seat to make sure you're going to have to watch your side of the seat, not bother your sibling. Also, um, we're not going to really be able to stop much, so you're really going to have to hold it. Um, we're, we're not going to be able to stop on the way and get any food. We're going to pack bologna sandwiches. Um, also, um, those toys that you really enjoy, uh, you're, there's not going to be room for them. You're going to have to leave them behind. And your mom and I, we really don't know exactly where we're going. We're going to need to be talking and watching the map very closely. So we really need you to be quiet the whole time. All right, you guys ready to go? Kids, you ready? You ready for that trip? <laughs> so... How would you feel about that kind of a trip? You know, thinking back to your own childhood. You know, sometimes we, we might get in the car even still with some optimism and joy, but it's not because of the description or the anticipation of the time in the car. Now, some of you enjoy the trip itself. I, I really like the road trip. I like getting buckled in. I like sitting there and reading and thinking, and it's an excuse for me. But many of us don't, don't like that, and I think the younger we are, the less we like getting strapped into a seat for hours on end. But, you know, um, this is a, a little bit, I think, about what's going on with the disciples. As Jesus is talking to them about what they're about to encounter and what they will see in their lifetime, after he's crucified, and after he ascends into heaven. And just, just like with, with, uh, with us as kids and our, and our family vacations, it's not the trip. It's not the trip that we look forward to. It's the destination. And I think what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here is, I want to tell you about the trip. You need to know. We've heard uh, several several different sermons on Jesus's, uh, Jesus's um, honesty with his disciples about what's going to come. You guys remember Mark talked about the adventure into the wilderness and the guide then, then left us stranded. You remember that? But we learned that. Um, we've also learned that the Holy Spirit was going to come. So Lionel taught us the Holy Spirit was going to, um, to be with us along the way. We talked about uh, the Holy Spirit uh, driving, driving in the car next to us, you know, and being with us. We also 
We also learned Jesus told his disciples that if his disciples stayed in Jesus, they would receive peace. Remember, he said, my peace is with you. They would have peace. They would experience the love of God the Father. They would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit. He talked about fruit coming out of uh, life in, in Jesus. They would love. These are the things Jesus told them they ought to expect. But last week, we also heard from, from Brother John that they ought to expect hate. If you remember, because the world, and we're starting to see here in Jesus' discussion with his disciples, we're starting to see this. it's not just about where they're headed, but it's also about where they're leaving. Why is it that Christ is calling them to go on a journey? Why is he calling them to take on someone else's name, to take on his own name and leave behind the name that they had previously been called? Why is he doing that? Because there's, there's a place they need to travel from as well. And I think that's really good uh, context for us to take into the passage this morning. Because Jesus talks this morning to his disciples more, he explains more to them about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit will do. Specifically in the context of how the disciples in the world will be different and need to be different. And before we read that, let's, let's turn to the Lord and pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace to us this morning, God. We thank you for your word to us. Uh, we thank you for the reminder in the song that you are victorious, that you are always making things new, that you have power to change us, to make us new, to give us hope. And we pray, God, that you would meet with us this morning and remind us of those promises. God, I pray that you would speak through me and in spite of me. And to pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so in John 16, starting in verse 5, Jesus says, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Well, what has he said? He said, I'm leaving. You're going to go on a trip. You're going to be by yourself, and there will be opposition. And how do they feel about this trip? Not great. But then he says, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. How could Jesus say that? How could Jesus say it is better for his disciples for him not to be with them? I mean, that's, that's a pretty bold statement. This has stuck with me for many years of my discipleship as one of the most enigmatic things I think Jesus said. And I think it's important that we work through how is it possible 
for it to be better for the disciples, the apostles, to be better for the church, to be better for me, that Jesus is not standing right here next to me. It is also Jesus has taught us, and, and we saw the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit-filled apostles yearning for Jesus' return. And yet, until he does, it's actually better for us to not have Jesus here. And he says, why? Why is that? Jesus definitely loved them, and he helped them, and he taught the truth. But he says, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. And we've already learned uh, what the helper will do, who the helper is, that the helper is God, the helper will empower, will, uh, we've, already, we've already seen the helper is called the spirit of truth, will um, proclaim truth to them, will help them understand spiritual truth. But now we learn some more specific things. And this passage is, is uh, I think, a very important passage for us to understand what the Spirit is doing in the world and how we as Christians even come to faith, how we are even part of God's people. He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world. And convict uh, is an an important word in this passage. So what what does it mean? What does it mean to convict? And we use the word convict. You know, we would talk about convicting a criminal. Um, I think most of us uh, think internally for you to be convinced that it's true, uh, for for it to be reliable. and then certainly we, we also talk about conviction in the sense of I've been convicted of something wrong that I've done or some sin that I've committed, uh, which again is just meaning that we're convinced that it's true. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict the world. So I guess the, the first question is, is, is the entire world convinced of its own sin? I would say no. I mean, this is this is what this is what we see, and this is to, to a great extent why we still are groaning and yearning for the reconciliation of all things under under the lordship of Christ to admit that we are uh, in need. But how did we how did we exit uh, a life in the world and enter a life in Christ? Um, again, um, I don't think many of us were uh, blown away by the explanation of the trip we would be on, right? Because when we hear the call of what it means to follow Christ, we know there will be suffering. We know first there will be sacrifice. We will leave behind as we turn to Christ. But the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in me. And the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us that Jesus is the one to believe in. But when we look around at the world, there is, there is plenty of evidence 
that the world would see that would suggest that Jesus is not God, that Jesus did not actually die for the sins of mankind, and that actually our sins don't need a sacrifice. And this is what we see in the world. And how is it that we as believers live in a world like that? How do we have hope that the life that we're living, how do we have hope that the sacrifices that we have made, how do we know that those will be fulfilled ultimately? How do we know Jesus is really who he said he was and that he's worthy of our trust and that he's really victorious reigning today? It's not because we read the newspapers or watch the news or talk to people at work. That's not the picture that we get. We get it because the Holy Spirit is bringing truth into our spirits and making that real to us so that we know and we can count on who Jesus is and what he said. And ultimately, the, the, the thing that Jesus asked for, you know, when you, when you sum up the summary of the gospel, is to believe in him. To believe not just about him, but to believe in him. For us to put our full trust in him for our salvation. And, and this is something that in order for us to live in that world, for us to be on that trip, we have to leave behind the other place, the place where we're self-reliant, the place where sin isn't that big of a deal, the place where I can reconcile myself. We have to leave that behind. And the Holy Spirit is the one who conv convinces us, convicts us, convicts the world that that's, that that's true. He also, in verse 9, convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Uh, and, oh, sorry, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. So the, the Holy Spirit helps for us to see that the righteousness of Christ is truly righteousness. And, you know, I wanted to give maybe a, an example. Um, you know, you know what Jesus taught about divorce? What did, what did Jesus teach about divorce? Anyone? What did Jesus say? It was okay? Make up your own rules? He said, God, God has joined a man and a woman together. That, and that's what marriage is. And if God's done that, then don't dissolve it. How does that reconcile with the world's righteousness? I bring up that example because that conversation and talking about that uh, has been painful for, for my wife and I in several relationships and counseling relationships that we've had. How, is, how can we, even the disciples said, wow, if that's, 
if that's the truth, uh, people should never get married. How can we hold fast to the righteousness of Jesus, to what he modeled? You know, and as I, as I was reflecting on this, you know, I also wanted to bring up Jesus himself was not married, was he? No, Jesus was uh, fully God, fully man, the model of righteousness for us, and he was never married. He didn't have kids. And I would say it's also been a source of pain um, in some relationships we've had for us to hold up that truth and example of righteousness as well. That you do not have to become a, a family, earthly family, in order to honor God. So how is it that we walk in this third way of righteousness that Jesus has laid out for us when there really isn't anyone in the world outside of Christ and his church that is promoting this way of looking at what righteousness is? Well, I think our hope, again, is from the Holy Spirit. We're convicted that this is true because the Holy Spirit tells us Jesus is reliable. Jesus and his words are a rock-solid foundation. And if we don't understand how, we still trust that they are. And we build our life on him and on his word. And how did we get there? We remember, I think each of us can remember, uh, being in a place where we didn't, maybe weren't willing yet to trust the words of Christ. In, in, various, in various situations. But Jesus sent his spirit to us to convict us of the truth of his way of righteousness, and we can base our lives on it. And then in verse 11, um, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, is it? Obvious to you that the world is under, as, as Jesus says here, the rule, the rule of the enemy? Is it obvious? Is it obvious to you that the world has already been judged and is headed in a bad direction? And going, going back to the, the trip story we talked about, is it clear to you that we need to get in that car and get out of here? Is it clear? I would, I would say that if it is, if it is clear, it's not because we're uh, smart people and it's not because we're great people. It's because that truth is something the Holy Spirit shows us. The Holy Spirit reveals to us that this world is under the rule of the enemy. Now, he's been judged already. And as we sang, Jesus is already triumphant. And yet today still we see this is what it looks like outside of the rule and the reign of Jesus. So Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, 
but you can't bear them now. Well, that seems pretty weighty already. And I think he's recognizing, you know, he noted already, I see that you're sorrowful. I see that you're sad. Um, he, he, uh, he said in verse 5, you, you, you're not asking me where you're going. Oh, I haven't, I'm not yet able to tell you as much about the destination. I see that you're really upset right now because of the trip I'm telling you you're about to go on, but I want you to know when you wonder how you're going to make this trip, I'm going to, I'm telling you, it's the Holy Spirit in you. It's the Holy Spirit in you who's going to convince you of the truth of all of these things. It's the Holy Spirit in you that's going to convict you the future disciples who will believe in me, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who convicts them and brings them into my kingdom. And he says in verse 13, the spirit of truth will come and guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine, everything that's mine, all the implied truth that my life and teaching and and being have left behind, he's going to disclose to you that. He's going to help you understand it. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So this this is the the promise of Jesus as he is about to leave is that we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one, he does many things and we've talked about some of them and some of them were in this series not even gonna talk about what the Holy Spirit does. But the thing that Jesus is talking about here is when we're encountering and living still in a world of hate, in a world that's under the rule of the enemy and encountering people majority of people who do not recognize Jesus's truth, how in the world are we going to make it? How are we going to remain faithful to him? I, I, am, I am not like the most faithful. I mean, Jesus didn't pick like the most faithful, like disciplined people, did he? Did Jesus pick, did Jesus just pick the best people out of the world? who were the best listeners, who were mostly good uh, uh, to start with? Oh, wow. Is that who we picked? No. No. Consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this is our our boast is not that we are clever people. Our boast is that God chose us. 
as Jesus said. Remember, you did not choose me, but I've chosen you. And I've chosen you to bear fruit, and I've chosen you to bear fruit that will remain. And that's why we're in Christ. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit to call us. And that's why we can have hope when we look at the world and see, and we feel the groaning. And sometimes that groaning is we see the evil, but sometimes that groaning is we liked our hope. <laughs> we liked it. You know, there's, there's still that separation that happens as we follow the Lord, continued separation as we begin to receive the truth of the Holy Spirit in us to separate ourselves from the world's righteousness and the world's sin and to accept and receive the Spirit of God who brings the righteousness of Christ into our lives. And that's, I think, the unique truth that we receive from, from this part of Jesus' final address is uh, the, the Holy Spirit's role in helping us to join his family. And kind of go, going back to the trip is, you know, actually, when we're, on, when we're on this trip, you know, until Jesus returns or we go home, we die, when we're on this trip, there is a lot going on outside the windows. And sometimes it comes inside the car. There's, you know, bickering in the car. There's, you know, we don't like where we're going. We're complaining. Um, we have accidents along the way. But <clears throat> Jesus' promise to us is his Holy Spirit will be there with us. His Holy Spirit will be the one that keeps us. And my question to us as a church is, when you look at your life, when you, if you were going to summarize how things were going in your life, the things that concern you, the things that bring you anxiety, the fear that you have, the sadness or sorrow that you have. When you bring those to the Lord, how will the Holy Spirit meet you? How will the Holy Spirit remind you of Christ and disclose Christ to you? That is the solution. That is the answer to all of those problems that we face. Is the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is with you, church. He, he loves you very much. He has called you. He knows where you're going. He's, he's with you. And he's calling you not just to persevere, but to actually take part in the righteousness and the mission of Jesus. So I'd like to pray for us. Um, Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promise to us, your promise to the apostles so long ago. We thank you for the, the faithfulness that you've de demonstrated, that we've seen this thread through history of you calling your people to be convicted of spiritual truth, it seems to come out of nowhere. 
And your Holy Spirit is the one who's called us. God, we boast in you. We don't boast in ourselves. You have called us. You are making us into your people. And we need you. God, I pray that you would glorify your son, Jesus, and glorify yourself through the Holy Spirit's work in our life. I pray these things in your name, Lord.